about it. Super honest, not sneaky, not instant gratification, gratification, like nothing like that. The way she needs to do it. Yeah. Like she planned it and she had like a glass of wine. And when it started, I was like, I don't like this and our relationship's going to change and I'm good. Like I started acting different toward her and it was like all in my head. And then I just had to do like the steps on it, honestly. And I kind of like took a step back. I'm like, I'm literally like, this isn't fair what I'm doing. So then. Um, welcome to the show, Taylor. Thank you. Glad to be here. Taylor and I met uh, almost four years ago when I was in LA to get sober. And I think we hit it off like right away as friends. And like we went to the same meetings together. You gave me rides all the time because I was just like a broke boy early in sobriety. <laughs> and we were both from New Jersey. And as soon as I found out you're from New Jersey, I'm like, okay, we're instant friends. Like, and but I don't know your story. Like we talked. Well, we had sorry to interrupt. We already had. I was like, I like this dude. And then like when you said you're from Jersey, I'm like, oh yeah, now it makes sense. That that, makes sense. It was like, the attitude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I just you know we were instant friends. And then um, I don't know your story though. I knew I know like that you ended up in L.A. Obviously, that's where we met. Mm-hmm. And I know that like you're from Jersey because you have a Jersey state tattooed on your foot. I think. Because I have memory. I have it on my arm. Yeah. So I have a decent memory, especially when it comes to like tattoos, like unique ones or ones that match me or whatever. Like I remember that, especially Jersey people. Like, so um, when we met, you know, we were both. How? No, I want to do this. What's your sober date right now? What is your sober date? March 8th, 2017. March 8th, 2017. And we met a year later, a little over a year later. Yeah. So what was going on for you in March of 2017 to where you decided you were going to stop drinking? Or What was your DOC? Was it drinking or was it drugs? Both. Okay. So the drinking has always been a huge part of my life since very young. Jersey. Smoking weed. And so it was manageable. Like I was probably a functioning addict alcoholic right uh and what brought me down was cocaine so i think i would have i'm actually super grateful for the like coke addiction because i think i would have kept on just drinking and smoking weed and kind of living this mundane life like not really like living my full potential i always wanted to travel i wasn't traveling um and you know all my free time and money or like extra money and extra time was going toward the bar and doing coke and like I couldn't really you know I've thought about this a few times because there's been like people say like the consequences and all this stuff but like that's not actually what brought me into recovery like I've had worse consequences before this and I I try to like put my finger on it when I've told my story many times but I do just believe like I had just said before it's just this divine intervention like you can't really put a finger on it or like get people to get to that place of desperation it just happens um like just so sick and tired of the bullshit so my last night drinking I had like one of those last times that was super fun um like it was like all day drinking and bartending 
all like stayed at the bar with all my friends all night had said like two weeks previous like I'm not doing coke anymore right like we do and um and then a few of the guys had left to go to West Hollywood to pick up and like came back and like gave me my own fat rock like I don't know if this is bad to talk about on here (laughs) no no I've had way worse so you can keep going (laughs) you what People have talked way worse. It's fine. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. There's like, no idea. You're good. <laughs> yeah. So like, I didn't even really ask for it. I didn't put money in. Like, it was just like handed to me. And I, it was like that mental block. I didn't even think like, oh, I said I wasn't going to do it. You know, like it just, it was just like, fuck yeah. You know? And then like went all night, like just, I probably drank more it was one of my biggest drinking nights. Like, I had a lot of alcohol. Well, Coke and alcohol go together like fucking, you know what I mean? Like, that. I, I have never talked to anybody on this show or anybody really anywhere that was like, oh, yeah, I loved Coke, but I hated alcohol. Or I loved it. You know what I mean? Like, I you don't hear that. If if you're doing Coke, you're mostly drinking with it. I feel like it's like because it's the bar scene. It's a party scene. Mm-hmm. It wasn't frowned upon. You're not inject. you know, you're snort. It's like more of a like shared drug. It yeah. gets dark eventually. That's how, it, that's how it starts, though. Unless you get out early enough like you do. Because what ends up happening is then you're by yourself in, in the corner of your room yeah. shooting Coke and drinking by yourself, too. I've heard that. <laughs> everyone's stories of like peeking out the window and like yeah I yeah didn't get yeah now when did now you ended up in LA when did you let's let's go all the way back you grew up in Jersey grew up in Jersey around 19 20 years old moved to LA I was Why? 20 my sister lived here and she okay. got pregnant and I wanted to be out here like I had visited it was like sunny and beautiful and open-minded and I just knew I didn't belong in this small town in New Jersey. I wanted, like, more, you know. Um, I've always had that curious spirit. Uh, so I kind of just moved my restaurant job and community college deal over here. Um, moved with a few friends and, like, partied for the next three, four years. Yeah. That was how it went. You made fast friends. Well, I mean, you're working in a bar. I'm sure it's easy to make fast friends in L.A. if you're working in a bar and you're 20, 21 years old. Yeah, it was. It was. That's like even some friends I still have were some people I worked with at Cabo Cantina in Venice. That's where it started. And that's where the partying started, down on that block in Venice by the pier, by the Venice Pier. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, I had moved over and then, yeah, I didn't come here for recovery like a lot of people do. Um, Yeah, (laughs) it's a great place to come for recovery. I didn't even know that. And I didn't think I was coming to get recovered. It's crazy. I didn't realize until I was there, you know, and then when you when you look back, you remember like watching Intervention and you're like, every time you're watching Intervention, like we got a great place for you in Southern California. And, you know, I never even still put two and two together that LA would be great for recovery. Like I only went there because it was, they accepted cannabis and they used cannabis at the sober living in LA that I went to like that. Yeah. I don't even think it's there anymore. High sobriety is where I went in Culver city where they, you know, you don't smoke and I still don't smoke right now to this day. Um, cause the whole point was they get you up with the doctor too. And that doctor is like a therapist kind of like where they help you, learn how to use cannabis as a medicine not as a drug so for me changing my relationship was very important so smoking it is an instant escape right you feel the effects pretty quickly 
But if I take a capsule with my blood pressure medicine as medicine, it works its way through my system in an hour or two and, and my anxiety's down and my depression's down and I get through and I can sleep better at night. But again, it's not something that I'm escaping with because like I snorted pills and not ate pills because I wanted to feel it right away. I chugged a drink and not sipped a drink, you know, to feel the effects right away. So it was important to me to have a relationship with cannabis to where, and I don't call it weed. I want to call it cannabis, you know, cause it, it, to me, it's that relationship again, changing and that's helped, you know, and now if I'm like having a bad day, I'll make sure to not even use one of my edibles, you know, because I want to process it completely clear. Right. I want to be completely sitting in the shit is what I call it. That's what I always say sitting in the shit. And that's how I want to process things. And then once I feel like I processed it, I'm like, okay, now I'll take my nighttime meds. Now I'll lay down and just like fall asleep because I've had severe insomnia since I was eight, 27 years, you know, like. Me too. Like I'm talking two to three hours of sleep a night. Yeah. Max. And it's like the rage kind of insomnia that like where I want to like hurt myself, you know, not like, you know, off myself, but like hurt myself so that I have enough pain that I pass out. Mm-hmm. Like I used to like slam my hands and body into walls in order to like feel pain so that I would fall asleep. Like, I mean, really dark but, shit, you yeah. know, that's yeah. how bad insomnia gets though for people when you've been awake for three, four days straight. Well, and, again, your mind can't be like functioning properly off that little sleep. And, and, and it's just a frustrating thing, you know, that happens. And the cannabis does help with that because I don't like trazodone. I don't like Quill. I don't like, you know, the other meds. Like, I tried yeah. trazodone in rehab, yeah. and I hate and I hate it, the, how I felt. Like, That's you have say, yeah. Ten minutes later, if you don't pass out right then, you're going to feel drunk. And then you're going to feel drunk again in the morning. Like, you oh, know. That, like, groggy. Oh, after- it's awful. It's awful. I, I hated it. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, the cannabis hearing today about this it actually doesn't get you high at all but it's like this full spectrum like very reputable company that does full spectrum cbd for sleep and it has like the four cannabinoids or whatever and and the the acupuncturist at the sober living i work at was telling me about it because i still have a hard time sleeping i'm about to be five years sober and i still don't have my sleep uh like because i refuse to take anything you know so it's like it's silly i'm gonna try this cbd stuff you know yeah and the cbd's safe the CBD is yeah. really safe. It's not triggering at all. Um, and I don't even think the cannabis is triggering. You know, I think a trigger is a funny, you know, a funny thing to where like, you know, yeah, I was an opiate user, which was a downer. And yeah, cannabis can be a downer. But it's again, the the whys and the hows. It's why am I using this? It's the escaping. Yeah. How? Why am I doing this? Am I doing this to escape or am I doing this as a medicine? Because medicine's there for us to use for a reason. Right. I was just the one that abused it <laughs> for many years and just need to change that mindset. When did you start drinking? Were you a teenager in Jersey drinking already? Like, because I mean, I remember being in Jersey and you're talking woods parties, you're talking basement parties, <laughs> talking about garage party. Like, you know, yeah. you can w- Jersey, you can walk around your towns and just like with Gatorade bottles with vodka in it. Like, that's that's, that's Jersey. We used to get the Snapple bottle. Yeah. At Captain Morgan, because it's the same color as Snapple. Yep. Yes, it is. Take it into the bowling alley. All of us get. That's such a Jersey thing. (laughs) (laughs) Because I did that shit too. 
Westbrook bowling lanes. Oh my God. That's, we would just sneak in Gatorade vodka. We would use Gatorade though, because you know, it, we would tell ourselves cause we're dumb fucking eighth graders, you know, mature eighth graders that, you know, Gatorade gets the electrolytes and it'll get into your blood quicker. So you get drunker. Fuck out of here. <laughs> get more drunk. Or drunk we used to, oh my God. We used to give blood in our school, like do the blood drives. Yeah. And we would get so drunk that night knowing that like one beer is going to equal three. Like yeah. it, it was so. Everyone did in my school too. Yeah. Were you Every... south? Were you north or south or central? Central. Yeah. Okay, so okay. you weren't that far from me. Quite pleasant. Where, where's your hometown? Oh, shit. Right outside of Camden, Cherry Hill. Oh, Cherry Hill. So I, my family, we lived in West Hampton for like a year and a half. Oh, okay. Or Point Pleasant. And then, yeah. yeah. Basically grew up in Point Pleasant, like riding bikes around town. Yeah, I say Cherry Hill. I grew up in money from an Audubon, you know, that it's right outside of Cherry Hill, Camden. But mm-hmm. yeah, everyone knows Cherry Hill when you say that. But yeah, yeah, it's literally like the Walt Whitman entrance. It was at the end. Like I could see the Walt Whitman entrance for the mm-hmm. for the bridge from like where I grew up mm-hmm. in Audubon. Like it's <laughs> it's a, my accent is Philly, like and everything. Like I'm, and it was your so annoying. Philly, it's what? So, your accent is like a Philly accent. It's so oh crazy. yeah, I mean I I was five minutes. You know I grew up five minutes. It would take me to get to a Flyers game, including going over the bridge. Yeah. Like, you know, literally door to door, it was seven minutes, I think, to leave my house and to be parked over at a Flyers game. I went to Flyers more than anything. Philly's a lot, too. Seven minutes. That's it. Right. Paying the toll and everything. Like, literally right there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It was easier to go over to South Philly than it was to get into Camden. That's how fucked up it was. Like, because. Super close to the bridge. Like, you're right there. And yeah, when you go into Camden, there's so many potholes everywhere. You can't like drive, and then like yeah, and then it wasn't. <laughs> I was never doing anything good in Camden. No, and <laughs> about Camden is like friends I went to school with going to get heroin in Camden. That's yep. it. Yes, there was like when you were out here and when we met, there was like a solid crew of Jersey. Jersey, Danny, so, yeah, not Danny. Danny was up in Connecticut, but Richie, you know Richie, he passed away a couple of years ago from an overdose. No, I didn't know that. He was a Jersey dude. He was up from Newark, and I met him, you know, in the Santa Monica uh, meetings and all that. And we had this Jersey crew of people we all knew in sobriety. We used to walk around, but he had his relapse, and unfortunately. Not familiar. I wonder if I know him. You probably, he might even went to your, if you worked with Devin, he, he was in Devin's sober living or Devin's rehab. Yeah, I didn't work with her, but yeah. Because I remember, like, on my show, because she, she was on earlier on, and she told me that, you know, his death actually made her to not get close to clients anymore. And she went to work in the back office instead because she was that affected by his death, it's you know. Big. Yeah, it's oh. it's rough out there, obviously. So yeah. you started in Jersey as a teenager, like I did, just bringing shit into bowling alleys and being reckless. Yeah, reckless. I'm probably even before, probably like 11, 10, 11 years old, started drinking, you know. 11 was my first drink. I always talk about it. 11 was Captain and, Captain and Coke was my first drink watching The Outsiders. <laughs> That's funny. You remember the moment. Uh, well, it I- was because we wanted to be cool like the greasers. And we went into my parents' basement and, you know, they, my parents weren't drinkers, but they threw huge parties. So they always had like an overstock of alcohol in the basement from their previous party. And there was captain. I was like, this guy looks cool, you know, cause the captain's all like fucking up on the rock and looking all cool, like captain hook. And I was like, this guy looks cool. And my best friend and we made captain and Coke and we saw our parents do it that way. Right. You couldn't Google shit. 
This was, you know, I was, this was 1997. You couldn't Google anything. <laughs> so, you know, I just, we mixed Captain and Coke. And then on Saturdays when he would sleep over, we'd have like a glass of Captain and Coke and watch the outsiders and think we were cool like them. That's funny. That's yeah. Funny. I think um, my first time real, like my first time actually drunk was in a friend's basement as well, where their parents had like a whole bar down there and we drank tequila. And I remember ugh. next morning I felt, I felt like death. I had never felt like that in my life. And it's crazy that I drank again, you know? I was going to say, it really stopped you. <laughs> yeah. Really stopped me. Not. And I remember like we went to the beach. It was like summer and like eating pretzels and trying to drink water and like dying you know, didn't make a difference whatsoever. Um, I said, tequila is not my drink. Can't drink tequila. <laughs> so, moved did on. You ever, did you ever drink it again? So throughout, throughout <laughs> high school. I already know your answer because you started it with, so oh. here's my excuse. <laughs> well, throughout high school is vodka. Then that became a problem. I'm like, oh, it's the vodka. And then out here drinking at the bars, I only drank tequila. But it had to be like the expensive. I was like bougie. With my- it's got to be Jose. It's got to be like the really good stuff. Yeah, it can't be Jose. It has to be like Casamiga. I'm like, so oh, so- oh, fancy, fancy. <laughs> well, when you're a bartender or work in that industry, you kind you kind of get the hookup and you that's get true. boiled. Yeah. And, and then and that's that contributed to my alcoholism for sure. Let's talk about that. Are you still a bartender? Because I'm pretty sure you were a bartender when we met when you were a year sober. Yeah, so I bartended for four years in my recovery. Um Even were, in New Zealand? Spoiler so alert, were, everybody, she lived in New Zealand for a bit <laughs> in sobriety. New Zealand, moved to New Zealand after right after I met you. Yeah, that's what I mean. I went back to PA, and then all of a sudden, you were in New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, you laughed, and then I laughed. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I was, like, kind of wor- – not worried, but, like, I was – I, I could have swore – I didn't think you relapsed, but, like, you know, when you're, like, in, in a different country, you're posting all these pictures of, like, tables – of like food settings. I'm like, Oh, I hope that's not her drink. Like, you know what I mean? Like maybe that's somebody else's drink. I have faith in Taylor. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, and we went and traveled a lot and I was dating this guy there and he, he was, a he's a normie and he drank. Um, so maybe I was seeing his drinks on the table. Then. Probably. Yeah. Oof. And, and it's a huge <laughs> drinking culture over there, but you know, I had a really good community of friends. Um, and you know, I wasn't, I went to some meetings and I didn't like them. I was super fixed on the differences. And so I was through this. Yeah. So I didn't like it. I went to probably a handful of meetings, but then this blessing happened. Um, like the family friends of mine had a friend who struggles with um, some mental illness stuff and addiction. And they asked me to help her. So I start taking her through the book and show her the steps. And I only went to meetings to like once in a while to bring her to one, just to, like show her what's up. And um, that saved me. I don't know. It's not like I wanted to drink, but I don't know if I would have stayed sober if that didn't come along. Like, but I did practice my program, like you were saying, like using the steps, um, reading the the on awakening reading on page 86 out of the big book. Like that was always like my foundation. And I kept my foundation, kept in touch with my sponsor, Marshall. And, you know, I just I I kept it solid because I built it solid before I left. I love Bobby so much. I know I know you said Marshall, but I we always said different names. We we call no, we always said different names to each other. We've always called each other by different names. Um, so her sponsor is somebody that I saw literally every night at 11 p.m. at my daily late night meeting that I used to go to, and him and I, I actually had talked about him recently because he 
made fun of me when I got my progress, not perfection tattoo, because he's like, you don't even know what the word perfection means, I bet. And he was right. I had no idea. We had looked up in the dictionary. I had all about this perfection thing. We talk about this constant. Exactly. So he threw that. And but him and I were good friends ever since then. I always sat with him and would mess with him. And he's an old timer that just has amazing sobriety. And so we've never called each other by our actual first names. He still sends me like, you know, happy Merry Christmas and all that kind of stuff. I'm always like, thanks, Joe. Like, (laughs) you know, like we've never called each other. Like I almost forgot his name once because I've never I, I hardly ever. And whenever I call him Marshall, it's to somebody else to reference him. Right. right. <laughs> Besides that. This podcast is also sponsored by BetterHelp. If you are looking for therapy and not able to get something right away locally, you can do that with them. Within 48 hours, you can find a therapist to get on telehealth with you. I mean, it's I haven't heard anything but great things from people that have already done it that watch my show or listen to my show. If you're looking to get 10% off your first month, you can go to betterhelp.com backslash MJ's PNP MCA. That is betterhelp.com slash MJ's PNP MCA. Um, so, but you, and it's a shame because the Zoom meetings are so popular now and, and for, because of COVID, like Zoom meetings are through the roof and it's so much more accessible because you were there before COVID. When did you come back? Right. So I came back and I came back in October of 2019. So I started bartending again and I was doing this other job and I was going to meetings once in a while, but not really like jumping back into it yet. And then, yeah, COVID hit. Um, and you know what? It's crazy. I had never been as involved in AA as I have been this this past year once everything opened up again, like beginning of 2021. I got like super involved and plugged in and I never had that experience. I didn't want to have that experience. I wanted to have like this big life and have AA on the side as like my side back, chick, but like <laughs> not make it my whole life. And then, you know, throughout your recovery, like your program changes, you know? And um, that wasn't working as much. I had more time. So I like got plugged in, started helping people. And this whole kind of domino effect happened where I got in this car accident. Right. And I'm like, this is horrible. You know, I was in a lot of pain. I had a lawyer. It was like this whole thing. And I don't like that stuff. I didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't want the lawyer. I didn't want to deal with it. Um, But, you know, we just take the next step. So I I did it. And then I um, wasn't working. And so I'm, helping others and like just having commitments going to late night again all the time late nights like popping i miss late night i tried getting late night going to my meeting center just as like straight up an homage to like i heard the best messages there i it's the best because like it's people our age and it's and you're not going there to see you know a rehab there like if you go to marina at 8 p.m forget about it you're not even going to get a seat because there's four yeah. different sober livings or rehabs that are there making the guys go there girls it's go there still, yeah mm-hmm. yeah so when you go there at 8 p.m it's slammed with all these different which is good get them there that's the whole point yeah. but if you want some real raw recovery from people our age and if you're in la marina del rey marina center 11 p.m nightly has been like a staple for anybody pretty much except for Marshall it's not under 30 but everybody else is like our age and they're younger it's like young people's AA I feel like we're like they well we talk this cross talk but like in a fun way 
you know, like it's fun curls. Like I'll never forget this dude um, came walking out of the bathroom. And so the bathroom was part of the meeting center. You weren't walking into another room. People that don't know the bathroom is you walk out of the bathroom and you're in the meeting, you're in the meeting. And yeah. this dude, this, yeah, there's no hallway. <laughs> and this dude walks out of the bathroom, sits crisscross applesauce in front of the podium and raises his hand and says, I just smoked meth in the bathroom. And I don't know how to stop. Uh, <laughs> that's late night. <laughs> My face looks surprised right now, but the thing is, is that it's late night. That's like, late night. <laughs> nothing at late night after you go there for a while. You're like, yeah, this is the way it is. I guess some, some woman last night I was at Marina Center and some woman was like, how is there no toilet paper in the women's bathroom? I had to use. Like, There's a women's bathroom? <laughs> well, not if, if you know, you know one's women's, what's that? But okay. no, it, of course. See? Um, but it's like, we're like, uh, this is Marina Center. There's bring a napkin in, honey. Yeah. Gotta bring it. <laughs> oh, I love that place. I do miss that. It was, you know, it was always a interesting nooner, but my nooner I preferred was in 26 and broad, mm. you know, where we would go a lot too. And I would see you a lot there. And I think I saw you speak there. No. Yeah, I did see you speak Probably there Probably the Thursday noon meeting. And I would always go to that one. Remember? Yeah, how's she doing? Well, yeah. I don't think she'd mind us talking about it. It's kind of cool, maybe, for some people. I don't know. She's not sober anymore, but she's mm. not... Um, off the rails. She's not off the rails. She's going to school super into it. Like, Didn't she just get accepted into gra- into law school? She's applying to law school. She's okay. taking LSAT. She has, That's like, all honors classes, 3.95 GPA, like, so passionate about school like she says she realized that her like ism thing is more about her maybe do that so she wouldn't mind me sharing with you though her eating disorder like makes her feel like she has the the ism and that's why she related so much and like that was had a lot to do with her meth use as a young girl mod and stuff like that and and that it was more surrounded around this um eating disorder so she works on that and she's doing really well and she like drinks here and there but it's like not out of control no it's like at a party like there's like her family her her family is partiers like they they know how to throw a party her family i feel like yeah and they they travel like she goes to like europe all the time and shit got back from africa i saw yeah like you're really close family. So, like, I, I never judged it because I did it myself, so I get it. You get it, yeah. Yeah, yeah you know what I mean? But I, I would just... Sorry, go ahead. I didn't want to ever be like, are you good? Yeah. And be like, you know, so it's it's weird for me to do that, and especially as a guy to a woman. It's even weirder. I don't want to seem like I'm creepy or being, you know what I mean? Like, sliding into DMs, like, well, hey, you need anything? Yeah. You like, I never, you know, like... So I just, I was just like letting it be and just like, I see your stories. I see your posts. I'm like, Hey, that's awesome. She's, you know, she's doing it. She's solid. I mean, and who knows? Like, I don't know. And, and that was the other relief was seeing you with her all the time. Like I would see her post with you or you post with her and I'm like, okay, if she's with Taylor. She's not out of control. Yeah. It's so weird. So when it first happened, Kira decided it was like a three month premeditation talking to everyone about it. Super honest, not sneaky, not instant gratification gratification like nothing like that the way she needs to do it yeah like she planned it and she had like a glass of wine and when it started I was like I don't like this and our relationship's gonna change and I'm good like I started acting different toward her and it was like all in my head 
And then I just had to do like the steps on it, honestly. And I kind of like took a step back. I'm like, I'm literally like, this isn't fair what I'm doing. So then I kind of let that go. And like our relationship has not changed at all. Like we're still best friends. She's fine. Like she's still really healthy. She uses the steps when she's off center for like, yeah, like you did. Exactly. So I think if you take the healthy tools and some people, everyone's story is not the same. I used to be super close minded. I was like, sober, sober, no Xanax, no weed, no nothing. Like, this is how we do it. Like, it's such bullshit. I've gotten open mind from being in AA for so long and seeing people's stories be really different. And it's helped me personally. Yeah. This show has really helped me to get different perspectives on a lot of people's stories, you know, and a lot of people's journeys and how they do things because none of our addictions look the same. So why should our recoveries look the same? Exactly. You know, like at the end of the day, this is a long journey. We have a long life ahead of us. And like, yeah, one day at a time is like the phrase, but like I lived my addiction one minute at a time. Like, You know, like one day at a time has slowed up pace in comparison to what I was doing before. There were so many times where I had, you know, I was in the 30s, you know, perk 30s. And there were so many times where it was like 10 o'clock at night. I was already high as hell. I could have easily passed out, but I really wanted to snort one one more pill. And I would say to myself, well, I'll figure out tomorrow's when I wake up. I'm going to do this one now. And then I would. I would do that last one. That wouldn't even really get me high. It was just a matter of I wanted to snort something. I'm sure you can, you know, well, relate. The the phenomenon of craving I can't even help it. You this, know? And well, the, the, it's also the addiction to snorting. I was addicted to snorting as much as I was. This episode is sponsored by MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. We are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet. I can do this in a basement. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery. What I can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. If you can help out, you know, we do have a Venmo, we have a Cash App, we have a PayPal, we have an address you can send a check to. And, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on, and goes towards keeping the internet on. So please, you know, if you can get five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, it doesn't matter. Anything you can is so appreciated. If you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, And you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you can be a sponsor. But I'll let you get back to the episode. Yeah, she's fine. (laughs) Yeah, we can keep it in. I don't know what I said. Did I say anything private? I don't know or bad. No, no. About yourself or her? Her. No, I don't care. Anything about me, I don't give a fuck. No. No, it was nothing nothing said bad or anything. It was we talked literally about her traveling and about why she felt like, you know, she didn't you know necessarily need it anymore and it made sense. Did I say anything about her eating disorder? I don't know if she would want that in there. Um I don't remember, but I will go back through and make sure and if oh. it is I'll take it out. I'll ask her because, like, this is a big thing, and she might be down to keep it in if it, like, helps other people because it was, I think, what, what I, tell me if this rings a bell that I was saying that, like, she feels like she has the ism because of her 
she does have an eating disorder and she had come in the rooms because of that. However, um, she realized it was more of that and not the addiction. Yeah, that's what you had said, though. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually what you had said now that I think about it. You did Kira, mention it. Let's ask her because I, okay. When I was talking to JD, I told him, like, this is all I said. Um, so we want to ask you if it's okay because if it's not, we'll figure it out. Um, I said that Kira feels like she relates and, like, all the stuff in AA, she relates to a lot because she feels she has the ism. However, um, she realized that if she has some eating disorder stuff, it's not about an addiction. So I probably might. You might want to take that out. What, what do you think? No, no, no. You, you don't have to take anything out. Um, but there's just, it just pops its head, like the ism pops its head out for me and my eating disorder. Yeah, that's and like basically what I said. Yeah, and that's, and that's like my main thing. And then I like go on to other things to escape from the eating disorder. Right. I think that's exactly what I explained, right, JD? Yep, that is what you said. Yeah, yep. so uh, we just want to make sure you're okay with, like, your eating disorder, like, yeah. that being on a podcast that's public. I'm okay with any of it. Okay, cool. Okay. How many beans? 20. Okay, cool. That's settled. Kira's very open. She doesn't usually care. Yeah. I, I think that a lot of us are like that. And when we get to the point where once, like our family and closest friends know everything it's like well i don't give a shit anymore <laughs> you know i have nothing else to hide yeah, anymore. there's nothing to hide AA makes you so open yeah definitely and i think that's one of the biggest things that like i found is that i got a lot more comfortable with who i am you know because of you know the shit i would talk about in meetings all the time like at the nooners you know when i met you two it was, you know, that was my first time, like, opening up, opening up for, you know, where I felt comfortable saying something and knowing that nobody else is in the crowd that's going to judge me because they don't know my past already. Yeah. You and know. Like, the huge thing about AA, like, opening us up and helping us grow is because I think, like, for me, I've, like, gone through my life, like, my family was always, like, oh, don't tell anyone we're having money problems. Don't tell anyone that, like, mom and dad cheated on each other. Like, all this shit. And it was, like, everything had to be a secret. And I I always, like, disliked that very much. Like, I wanted to share with my friends what was going on, but it wasn't acceptable. And coming to AA and hearing everyone, like, so raw. Like, so raw. <laughs> it's still that way for me, I feel like, what like... My family, like, even my parents are, like, they say to me, like, we didn't have alcohol in the house. It's like, yeah, we did. That's how I found it. I didn't make this story up. I'm not just, like, you think I'm making it up, My how my story started? Like, you didn't force me to drink alcohol, but I definitely went into the basement and found dusty bottles of liquor that I opened up and drank. Yeah, and, like, not to talk down on our parents, they were raised like that. Like, the old school way was, like, suit up and, like, look good and, you know. Sweep it under the rug. Together, sweep it under, yeah, sweep it under and, like, keep it together. Like, outside view matters. And it's, like, we are complete opposite. We're, like, hey, I'm an alcoholic. Like, I have issues. Like, this is going on in my life. We tell <laughs> each other everything. And that's why we're such healthy people because we're able to, like, not bottle it all up I think that's like the huge thing like even just like we were talking about this yesterday at a meeting even just like saying it to someone like it doesn't even necessarily need to be like sorted out into a solution but just like saying to someone like hey I'm struggling I'm feeling like 
this is like, I'm having like fears about my relationship and this is happening. It's so embarrassing, but just saying it out, like kind of like lets it go, you know? Yeah. I think the fact that it's important to keep talking out loud it because when we don't say anything out loud, it's getting stuck in our head and it's like a pinball machine, like that won't like go down and be let go. We're not releasing it and it just gets banged around our head. And then all of a sudden it takes over and I think that we're really healthy people when we're talking, yeah. but we're very unhealthy people the minute that we stop talking, like right. as people in recovery. And to add to that, like it, this is such a huge thing in, in the world of alcoholism that it's a thinking disease because it's not about like, hey, I have this fear that like, let's say I feel uncomfortable because uh, I'm trying to think of a good example, like something silly, right? Like my, you know, friend did this, right? And you're like, I feel uncomfortable about it. And like, that's a normal feeling. But the fact that we like judge it, and then we get down on ourselves, and then the self pity starts. And we're like, why am I so upset about this? And it's like all this judgment around a normal feeling that all humans experience. But it's like, the where we sabotage ourselves is where our alcoholism comes in and that's where it's like a thinking disease and i think that's uh, the most powerful thing about like saying it and talking about it is like oh no this is like a normal feeling and like it's okay and like you don't have to go into like it snowballs in our head like it's like this rabbit hole right so and, that, and it definitely is is because like a lot of us are overthinkers yeah. Like as addicts, like we overanalyze and overthink. And I think it's like the empaths that are in us, like where we feel so hard or we're overthinking and we want to help you and we can't understand how we, the things that took me out that made me drink or want to like relapse all the time, like looking back was always the worst thing in the world. Even early recovery, I was so fragile. Like if they didn't do the dishes in my sober living, it was like the worst thing in the world. You know, but now it's like I could get and I have gotten some horrible news in recovery and I still don't even think about drinking or the drug. Right. right. But before it would be the smallest thing in the world, you know, would cause me to, you know, drink or get high over it. Yeah. And it's a lot of it is also because of like I found out that you can get strength and that you don't need it's almost I read something somewhere and it's like a horrible thing, but it, it happens like rats or, you know, they're used for experiments all the time. Um, there was an experiment where somebody like dropped them into like literally water and let them tread. And then right before they, they gave up treading, they pulled them out to let them get a breather and then dropped them in again. And they were about to give up at 15 minutes the first time. 15 okay. minutes straight of treading water they're about to give up and this time they lasted almost like 60 hours of treading water because they now? because they kept getting stronger knowing that they could be saved mm. at any time they could be saved i need to hold on for i have strength that bit I of need, like this tiny like glimpse of hope that it's gonna be okay keeps yeah. you going that's good shit it's unfortunate to think about for the rats, yeah. But yeah. at the end of the day, it does show the it, the truth and what hope can actually do for people, and a, that little crumb of hope can really go a long way for survival for a lot of people that are still stuck in it. 
yeah and where we get that in the program is like seeing the newcomers come in still that's where i see it that's one and then also seeing like the people that paved the path for us like actually go through hard stuff and still be in there and stay sober through it and i think that that when i go through hard stuff it gives me hope like oh you've been 10 years sober and you've obviously been through this this and that i've watched you and then being like okay like i can do this too um yeah that's why it's important for me to even talk about like you know what's going on with me now you know with my wife's dis- disability has like really like halted a lot of plans for us you know because all of a sudden like this is something that we need to make sure it gets addressed first yeah because this is something that's not going away because it's ms there's no cure for it it just yeah. gets either better it just gets worse or it stays the same but it never really improves or gets better um it can be rested but for a little bit but it just progresses so like but at the end of the day like we don't want to get high over it we don't want to drink over it we just want to find ways to make our lives better and more improved yeah you learn to live with things and accept them um, and not fight the flow because it just you know life is unfortunate and not fair and I'm so sorry you guys are dealing with that um, yeah and, and exactly and thank you and you know and there's nothing we can do about it you know she had almost felt like it was gone inevitable for her just you know with different injuries that she's had along the way that she, and her sister has it and her sister got it at the same age she ha- she got it and it's, it's not it's, it's, not, it's not even a hereditary thing it's just coincidental like okay. yeah they don't even share full dna because they have different fathers oh that's yeah okay i know i know so <laughs> for it it's not even a genetic disease and they both got it at the same age of 38 that's so ironic do, is this something that uh do they know why people get it yeah for her um they think it has to do with a lot of concussions that she had okay um, not a hundred percent sure, but she's had like something like sixteen concussions in her life. Oh, that's a lot. My wife's clumsy. Um, she's beautifully clumsy. <laughs> uh, um, and she knows it. Um, but yeah, so you know, we're figuring it out though. And my point is, is just the idea of somebody I, you know, even like, let alone love and married to being sick let alone a disability would have caused me to drink or get high before absolutely and now it's just like not even like a thought in my mind yeah and i definitely a product of what the work can do for you when you put work into it absolutely that's such a testament of of the program it really is because those are big things in life that you know no one's given a handbook on how to deal with that but yeah, it gives me hope, and I'm sure many others that you guys can go through that and stay doing what you're doing and helping others, and that's beautiful, actually. Yeah, that's that's and that's why we talk about it is so that other people know, like, oh, so my day isn't ruined because the dishes weren't done or the house wasn't like. Yeah, like the little things, and then you hear these things. <laughs> okay, I don't have it so bad, you know, and like when I, and you never know. Beside that, like you never know know who you're going to run into, that has a similar situation and is embarrassed and doesn't want to talk about it. And then you guys are out there talking about it and it's like, Oh, like I can talk about this. Like that was a big thing for me this year was, um, 
like I I'm four years in and I'm like sponsoring people and I'm like not feeling good about my life and at first I was like super embarrassed I'm like is this like saying the program doesn't work like I I'm supposed to be like uh, like leading people and and paving the way and and I'm gonna tell people that I'm like feeling like I don't want to be alive and like really not doing well and I was scared and then um and like, you know, there's times where I wanted to drink, but like, I didn't, you know, the thought comes and I, that scared me too, to admit that because that really hasn't happened much in my sobriety. And, um, and it was like, okay, I eventually like started telling people what was going on and people would ask me like, how long do you have? Like, oh, four years, like coming on five. And people were like, oh yeah, it's five year menopause. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? Like, I didn't know this is a pick. Like, what is that? And, uh. And then I felt better about it, just hearing that, like, other people had gone through a really rough time right around when they were hitting five years, like, this emotional sobriety. And had I not talked about it, I wouldn't have known that and gotten, like, feeling a little better, you know? And um, and I don't have to be embarrassed about it because it shows people, I think, often, like, shares are like, oh, my life was so crappy before I got sober, I have tools now, and life is so good. And that's just not the truth. And so to be honest with like newer people, like it isn't easy. Life still happens. And now we have tools and we can stay here and we can share it with each other. I think that was like the biggest thing for me this year, you know, and just being honest about what's really going on. Um, yeah. And learning about who you are too. Yeah. Because learning who you are as a sober person, as a brand new person, when you started drinking at an earlier age, like we did, we never really learned a personality without drinking especially now for the first time you're in a job that doesn't even revolve around alcohol yeah yeah you know because yeah you got sober but still your your job and your day was still revolved around alcohol yeah like as a bartender a little bit yeah absolutely or no that was before that was three years so for the last two right what you haven't been working in around alcohol for the last two years. Oh, uh, just the past year. I went back after New Zealand. I went back to bartending. That's what, okay. Uh-huh. And then, um, yeah, and what happened this year is, like, I got in this car accident, and then there, there was, like, this identity crisis that had happened along with, like, not bartending anymore and working in that industry because I had been in that industry for 14 years, and I, I'm good at it. I know what I'm doing, and I formed a way to like be sober and have a solid foundation and be able to be around that and now I'm like what am I going to do with myself like yeah I'm going to school but like what am I good at this is the only thing I know and it was really hard for me and also like I had realized it took a while I realized that I liked being in this industry you know you're the bartender you're the cool one everyone wants to be friends with you it's a lot of attention and my ego liked that you know and then, like, now I don't have that anymore. And then now I'm trying to grab attention from, like, meetings. I'm going to a lot of meetings. And I'm, like, I want to be, like, friends with everyone and want everyone to like me and want attention. And, like, I had a look at all of this, you know. And, it's like, even talking about it now, like, I'm not proud of that. I don't want to say that. But it's just the truth. And, see, these are, like, the things, like, emotional sobriety that we, like, deal with that, like, aren't a big deal. But they are things that you know, really eat at you and cause like this self-pity or like feeling bad about yourself, low self-esteem and like self-esteem is something I had to really work on too. You know, it was like, 
it's like all of it. Like you come, I came in these rooms just to like stop drinking. And now I'm like working on all this like identity stuff and self-esteem and like, like getting out of self and just helping others and, and stop thinking so much about yourself and the attention I'm getting and like really like being validated by people I find is like something I heard people saying that a lot in the rooms when I first came in, like they either think they're like way better than someone or like a piece of shit. Right. It's like, and it's all ego based. Like ego isn't just like, I'm better than you. Ego is like, it's about me either, whether it's good or bad. Right. So I came in and I, I felt like I never related to that because I was in denial about it. And like this year, like realizing that like I do relate to that and um, validation from other people is like what makes me feel secure and okay and what I like try to look for. Um, but I couldn't change that until I was able to see it. And luckily, like my support around me helped me see that. Um, yeah, because, uh, you know, even early on, though, even if you could see it early on, it still isn't where your your sobriety is at that point. You yeah. know, early on, it's all right. How do I stop actually drinking first? Right. Absolutely. And then it's OK. I've stopped drinking. Now, how do I do this? You know, for me, it was how do I be in relationships? Mm-hmm. You know, how do I have relationships with friends that aren't revolved around getting fucked up? Yeah. You know, because I never knew those kind of friendships because it's all I've known since I was a teenager. Like, I haven't had a, a friendship, you know, where it wasn't revolved around drinking or drugs since, like, nine, ten years old, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I was just like, now what? Now what do I do and how do I do this? And then so that's why, like, there's always a big deal about, obviously, people saying recovery or recovered. And for me, it's like I'm recovered from drinking and drugging, but I'm still always going to be in recovery. Absolutely. You know, like for- that's how I always will look at that. Those words in the book is I'm in recovery from my mind, but I'm recovered from that for today. Absolutely. You know, it's all just for today. <laughs> yeah, and I agree. It's like this recover. The recovered part is like the obsession to drink and use has been removed through doing the 12 steps um, and continuing to do them, you know, um, in recovery because it can come back. We're not cured. Right. And in recovery, because it's a thinking disease, like, you know, the drugs and alcohol are just um, what we use to kind of settle down. But that thinking didn't go away. That didn't get removed. It's It's so funny. (laughs) I started therapy again. recently and I was doing the intake and my wife's intake took 45 minutes for hers and mine took 90 minutes because all the drug questions (laughs) (laughs) had a lot longer answers I felt like I was doing intake for rehab and um she was like you know initially they marked down that you needed somebody for mental health and addiction I was like I mean you can send me to an addiction but I'm not going to therapy for my addiction Like, I have a sponsor that I talk to, that I work with. I have, I sponsor people. I said, I'm not coming to a therapist to talk addiction. I'm coming to talk mental health in my mind. Uh, So I was like, she was like, oh, so you're not wanting to get high or get drunk. That's not why you're coming to therapy. I said, not even a little bit. No. (laughs) I was like, if I was, I would call my sponsor that's going to answer for free and not charge me $100 to answer their phone. I wouldn't. (laughs) Not just talking about my feelings and digging deeper into them, yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's something different. Like, to me, therapy is something different than just drinking and drugs. 
And she's like, okay, then I'll take you off the list for addictions counselors. I said, okay, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we all need some uh, emotional help. And uh, like you, I started therapy this year as well. And I was really against it for a long time. I saw See, for other people in the rooms. And I was like, all right, I'll give it a try. Yeah, I did it early on. I did it early on in recovery in, in L.A. I had like two different, thera- three different therapists at one point. When I was in rehab and sober living, you know, for the first like four months. But when I came back to Pennsylvania, I didn't get a new therapist. Okay. So I've been without one for, you know, three and a half years now. And so, but, you know, I need it. And I'm not afraid to say it. I need it. I think it's a benefit from a therapist. I think it's, I definitely advocate for that and now I'm going to school to be one <laughs> where I was like screw that before I don't need that shit you know we changed so much it's so funny yeah like and I always like make a joke like Tony Soprano even needed a therapist like you know some of the guys like oh I don't need I'm a man I don't need to talk about that I, you know like there like there was some dude uh, not arguing with on a Facebook group but we were going back and forth in the Facebook group, and he was like, I don't need therapy. I don't need to talk about that shit. Like, I'm a man. I know how to handle it. I'm like, listen, Tony Soprano was, like, the manliest of men, and even he had a therapist. So I'm not sure what you're trying to say about men that go to therapy. But if if Tony Soprano needs one, you could probably use one, too. And too on, like, that your feelings and therapy is a weakness. It's just like... It's actually a strength. Vulnerability is a strength. Being honest yeah. is a strength. I mean. And yeah. to your credit, though, Taylor, Tony Soprano's therapist, she had a therapist. Because a therapist shouldn't be their own therapist. So yeah. it's good that you are <laughs> getting into therapy at the same time going to school. Because and they would tell you day one, you can't be your own therapist. That is like the number one rule. Don't get a therapist who doesn't have a therapist. <laughs> and don't get a sponsor who doesn't have a sponsor. Do you see that? <laughs> Absolutely. It's yeah, like it's you, re- you want to learn something, find someone who knows it really well and does it too. Yeah, that advocates for it and lives it. And You know what I mean? That yeah. lives their life that way because they believe in it that much. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you get the better experience, but... Congrats on five years, because today, technically, technically, we're going (laughs) to, is five years for you, because I am going to release this on March 8th. So, you know, not to get, jump ahead a little bit, but congrats on five years, like, and so happy to know you and get to know you and get to know you more now, but obviously, you like you and Kira, like everybody was so, so instrumental for me in those four first four months that I've kept in contact with all of you. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm over the, what? I'm so glad we kept in touch. Yeah. Over the last four years, you know, I it's, I've been gone almost four years now and I've still, it's been so important to me to like stay in touch with everybody that was so instrumental to like, me early recovery not knowing who i was yet and just in the infancy of who i am today yeah yeah so thank you for that because you and your awesome sponsor matt and kira and everybody has been incredible for me 
I'm so glad. I mean, these people play such a huge role in our lives, you know. We, like, you know, this program, we, we save each other. And I'm sure there's so many times where you helped me, too. I remember that meeting and coming every Thursday. And uh, I have a dog here. <laughs> Want to see? Rex, get in the video. Here, I'll show you. Hi. Rex, come here. She's a sober dog. He's here. Hi, baby. Hi, baby. Hi. Do you know, do you know Dano? No. It's his dog. He's in recovery. Maybe I do. I don't. Yeah. I. It's so funny. I had a, the other person from 26 and Broad with that. Um. Oh my God. Now I'm blanking on her name because she came on my show and she had her cats in the video <laughs> and they okay. went all over her. But they were at. She went to the nooner meeting too. What the? Why am I blanking? Mm-hmm. I feel so bad that I can't. I'm like blanking right now. Was it and Robbie? Ellery. Ellery. Do I know her? I don't know. Ellery. Um, she's sober today. Um, she was but she was like taller, blonde, long hair, and maybe she didn't go on Thursdays when you two did, but she was always yeah. at the noon earlier too. But when she did her interview, her cats were fighting and it was hilarious. And her <laughs> one cat kept biting her face during it. <laughs> so oh that's <laughs> But it was so awesome to catching up with you and seeing you again, and congrats again. Thank you so much. It's so good to see you, too. You, Thanks too. I'll talk. Of course. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye.